Welcome, everyone. My name is Keith Case, and tonight's scripture is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. And uh, we're going to be reading from the NIV. You can read along on the slides up on the screen, or there's red Bibles in your pew. And uh, if you want to use your phone, feel free to do that as well. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And they came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. <coughs> then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked with, uh, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Meals are super important to us here at Providencia. We have them all the time. We'll have one here at our church uh, later on called Communion. Uh, we'll be going to a meal later at PDQ, as Danny uh, said earlier. Um, we have a meal once a quarter with uh, Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church uh, called The Conversation, where we talk about race in our city. And then uh, now until uh, into May, we'll be having a once a month Friday night feast. Some of you got to go to Friday Night Feast. Anybody, anybody make it to a Friday Night Feast? Yeah. So I was down at the Kraken Cottage down in Lake Worth uh, at Pam's house, Pam and Isla's house. And it was an awesome night. So much Italian food. And it was so good. 
So, so good. Meals are super, super important for us. And we actually have another meal starting up this coming Friday. If you are a PBA staff person, if you are a PBA staff person, we are buying your lunch this Friday at 12 o'clock at Chick-fil-A. We're going to get some Jesus chicken for you guys. And um, if you're interested in knowing about that, we, we're not sure if we've gotten everybody yet, but uh, Stephanie Bennett right over here. Could you raise your hand, Stephanie? See her if you are a PBA staff so that you can be a part of that and we can make sure we have enough uh, chicken or french fries or whatever it is you need. Meals are super, super important uh, for us. Uh, there's, a, there's a lady who's born in 1820, 1820, and uh, she had one of uh, nine kids one of nine kids, and um, she was actually born into slavery. Her grandmother was brought over on a slave ship. And by the age of 30, she had been set free. She had had broken free. She had escaped to Pennsylvania. Within a year, she went back to help other people be set free. Overall, she'd make 19 journeys. Eventually, she would, um, she would lead a Union uh, Army forces in to set 700 uh, slaves free. She was the first woman ever to lead uh, soldiers into battle like that in this country. She was the conductor, they called her, of the Underground Railroad. She got the name Moses. And <clears throat> Harriet Tubman is a woman that when you get to know the details of her story, You go, how in the world did she survive? How did she keep on going? She was uh, beaten by her slave master multiple times uh, as a young girl. One of the things that she learned early on was to cook. And she learned how to make meals and prepare meals. And what some people don't know is that she actually paid for the Underground Railroad, the work that she did through the Underground Railroad by preparing meals for other people. So she kept this liberation work alive through meals. And then while she would be out with the slaves that she was setting free, journeying through the woods at nighttime in the freezing cold, they would have to forage for food that they could eat from the forest floor. So she taught them how to prepare meals in the woods in the dead of night in the winter. And that's how she kept their hope alive on their journey to liberation, on their journey to freedom. Some people don't know this about Harriet as well, but that she was hit as a teenager by about a two-pound weight. It was an accident, but a guy was trying to hit another slave that was causing disruption and it hit her in the head and wounded her in a way that uh, she had problems with vision, she had problems with dreams, she couldn't sleep. But they say that Harriet Tubman, uh, you know, her whole life, this deep, deep woman of faith, this woman who, who loved Jesus and believed that he had called her to set people free. This whole month, we are in this series, uh, uh, or this whole year, called Rooted. And this month, we're talking about Scripture. And part of the hope is that we want us as a church to be more engaged, more connected to the narrative, to the story that God is telling through the Bible. 
here's a crazy reality, okay? Because some of you who've been Christians for some time feel guilty for this, which is not reading your Bibles. Harriet Tubman was illiterate. She never, ever read the Bible because she couldn't read. But she knew the story. And she had learned to hear the heart of God in it. A woman who could not read, but she continued to live out the gospel in such a way that she literally was liberating people's lives from slavery. And she did it with meals. To be rooted in Scripture, friends, to have our hearts set free, to have our hearts come alive, we are invited to a meal. We are invited into a meal. If you want to see your heart come alive, if you want to see your heart set on fire, we are invited to a meal to be rooted in Scripture. So the question tonight as we dive into the text it's three questions. It's going to be the outline for the sermon as well. So how is your heart tonight? Is it cold? Is it broken? Or is it whole? Is it cold? I know it's a little cold in here tonight. Uh, is it broken? Or is it whole? In verse 13, it says, The two men were on their way to Emmaus. And that's actually uh, the Hellenized version of the Hebrew name Hamath, which means to be warm. These men coming from Jerusalem where they had just seen this cold-blooded execution are now on the way to this village called to be warm. So we're going to see these men on a journey from cold to warmth. In verse 15 through 16, Jesus shows up. And it says that they knew, they were talking about everything that had happened in Jerusalem, everything that had happened in the life of Jesus. And then Jesus shows up in verse 15 and 16, but it says they don't recognize him. These are men who had walked with Jesus. They had seen Jesus, apparently. They had heard about him. They knew the scriptures, but they couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't recognize him. In verse 17, it says that they are downcast that they are looking down, they are downcast. And Jesus asks, what is going on? And here's the response, my paraphrased response in verse 18. Jesus, are you, or whoever you are, are you the only idiot around here? This is Cleopas uh, speaking to Jesus, who he sees as a stranger. He doesn't know it's Jesus yet. And I'm like, whoa, calm down, man. He's like, have you not heard? Like, are you the only person around who doesn't know what's going on? There seems to be a cold heart there, a deadened heart, a cynical heart. They have no idea who they are talking to. But they want to explain it to this stranger, who this Jesus was. And so in verse 19, they say, he was a powerful prophet in word and deed before God and man. He was this powerful prophet. You know, by the way, in Islam, Islam sees Jesus as a powerful prophet in word and deed. And they even see that he went to the cross. 
but he wasn't powerful enough, is their conclusion. These men on the road that night, that day, he wasn't powerful enough to liberate them like Moses had done from Egypt. He hadn't liberated them from Rome. Rome was more powerful. He had just died at their hands. They thought they were going to be free from their suffering, that they were going to be set free, and instead he ends up dying at their hands. In verse 20, they begin to talk about the ones who were more powerful, the chief priests and the rulers of the land, the religious leaders, the politicians, and the ones filling the politicians' pockets are more powerful. The militants are more powerful. The militaries are more powerful. Their ways are more powerful. Death is more powerful. They took the life of the one we thought was going to be our Redeemer. Those powerful people tried him and crucified him. So you have these men walking, journeying down this road. They've left Jerusalem. They are downcast. Their hearts are cold. They are beginning to despair, to have no hope because they have stared death in the face and they have stared the empire in the face and both have proved to them to be more powerful. And you have the cold-hearted people of power who have taken the life of Jesus. And in verse 21, we see that we had our hope, but our hopes were dashed. Women told us, but we still didn't believe. What would it take for them to believe? For them to really understand the scriptures, what would it take? What would it take for us? There was a meal this week in D.C. Uh, I actually got to attend it one time. It's called the National Prayer Breakfast. I don't know if anybody else has gotten to go to one of those before. Uh, but there's a lot of politicians there, including the president. He, he attends. And there's little you know, side rooms for students and then the real powerful politicians. They get to sit in the main room. And they had a special guest speaker they're named Gary Hagen. He's the president of International Justice Mission. And International Justice Mission, IJM, if you've heard of it, they've uh, set free over like 40,000 slaves through their work. But Gary will be the first one to tell you that there's more slaves today than there were in this country so many years ago. That there's estimated 40 million people today in slaves. And that number just seems overwhelming. It doesn't even seem real. It's like, but it's very real. It's very real. There's 40 million people enslaved today. And Gary really believes that the next generation of young people are actually going to end slavery in this country as we know it. He's very optimistic. He's very encouraging to the younger generation, um, which is really cool to see that. And he said, we're on this mission to end slavery, to set people free. And here in this meal, as he talked about that, as these high-ranking political officials were there, including our president, he said, we have to be very careful, though, about our crusades. I'm on this crusade to set people free, to see slaves 
set free. But we have to be very careful as leaders about our crusades because in the process of going after what it is that we want to see happen, what we want to see accomplished, we can run by the things that are so good and miss them. Or even worse, we can steamroll right over good things in the process. And he started unpacking some of the history here in our country, starting with the Pilgrim Fathers who broke free to create a new world of religious freedom and democratic self-government in Massachusetts, but in the process denied it to Baptists, Catholics, and Quakers. And then he talked about the founding fathers of this country who broke free from tyranny, declaring that all men are created equal, but not denied it to 20% of the population who they had enslaved. And then he talked about the abolitionists who fought to free those slaves in the 19th century but cited God in refusing to allow women to serve, to speak, or to lead in that movement. And then lastly, in 1913, during the women's suffrage movement, when they marched on D.C., such an incredible day, you know, setting women free, fighting for women to have the right to vote, but in the process, making the women of color stay at the back of the parade. These incredible leaders fighting for freedom, like, let's go, let's do this. But in the process, these incredible blind spots. Many of these people would claim to know scriptures, to know the word of God. Some of them even using scriptures to justify some of the evils are to excuse them, some of the blind spots. But they had missed something. They had missed something, and we have to humble ourselves before God and listen to Him to learn His way, which is the broken way. We have to learn how deep the suffering goes for Jesus, how vulnerable this God really is. See, there's an ongoing meal that if we're not careful, if we're not a part of that ongoing meal, our blind spots can grow and wound so many. In verse 25, as we talk about the broken heart Jesus doesn't hold back any punches. How foolish you are and how slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. What was it that had made them foolish? What was it that made these two men foolish? It was that they couldn't make sense of the suffering. They couldn't make sense of Jesus' suffering and they couldn't make sense of, of their suffering. There is a, a Holocaust survivor, a Jewish a psychologist, who says that despair, he has a formula for despair, despair is D equals S minus M. Despair equals suffering minus meaning. When we don't understand Suffering, we don't have an understanding of the meaning of suffering. That we begin to despair. 
But Jesus says to them in verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And in verse 27, he goes on, he says, Jesus summarizes the Torah, all that Moses had written from the beginning, the prophets, and all the scriptures. And he says it was pointing to Jesus hanging on the cross. That all of scripture, the whole Bible is a buildup pointing to Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. It was pointing to your King Jesus suffering. It was pointing to his broken heart. You think he lives in a steel cage of protection? So often as a kid, I thought God was this distant figure because so many of the men in my life were distant figures. And often when they came close, it was because I had done something wrong. And maybe some of you have had that experience. So you think for a God to come close, it has to be with a heavy hand. But this God is coming close with his suffering. This God is coming close with his broken heart. This God is coming close with his heart on display. And throughout the scriptures, we see it. You know, in the tradition that I was raised in, I was taught to study the word of God. But the last several years of my life have been learning to hear the heart of God. Learning to hear the heart of God behind the word of God. And Jesus is breaking open the scriptures to them. You wanted Jesus to save you from your suffering, to liberate you from the Romans. He entered into your suffering, though, to save you through it. He lived under occupation. And he died under occupation. They still don't know it is Jesus. But they don't want him to leave, so they urge him to come in, sit down, and eat with them. And in verse 30... It says, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and then gave it to them. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Friends, every week after I finish this sermon, I take the bread, I give thanks, and I break it, and we give it to you. And we partake in it. And we raise the cup. We say, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed of my blood for the remission of sin. Drink of it, all of you. And we invite you to a meal. Right after we read the scripture, right after the preaching of the word of God, there's a reason why we do that. There's a reason why we do that. The body of Christ broken for you. That's the only thing 
that makes Scripture make sense in a broken world. It is the heartbeat of God. It is where we see that our God is not locked in a steel cage. He is a vulnerable God. He is a live God. He stays engaged with all of our story and the story of the whole world. And that heart of God is what is transforming the world. Nothing is more powerful. If you go back to the very first meal that Moses records in the book of Genesis, that meal sent us into hiding in shame and guilt. If you jump forward to what we call the Last Supper, it's the meal where Jesus actually invites us out of hiding. He says, because of this meal, you don't have to hide anymore. You've been hiding for so long. So much so that that same one who would break open the bread and say you don't have to hide anymore would lose his robe, would lose his clothes, would become so vulnerable, so beat down, and then he would be nailed to a cross to be displayed for all the world to see that this is God naked for you. This is God. This is the heart of God. If you want to understand Scripture, if you want to know Scripture, what Jesus is calling you to in your life, you have to know that picture. You have to know that God, the God of the cross. The God who suffers. We want to so quickly, you all, in our culture, either lock up a cage around our heart so we don't have to deal with our pain, or we want to jump from walking with Jesus to the promised land. And we skip this thing in between called life, called suffering. Jesus encourages you. Jesus invites you. Jesus says, the way you're going to know me, actually, more than any other way, is through suffering. And he invites you to stop trying to run from it. To bring your whole heart to him. To bring your whole heart to scripture. Some people, as they're sitting there, these people, as they're sitting there in verse 31, it says, then their eyes, after he broke the bread, were opened. Once they saw Jesus breaking the bread, once they remembered this is the broken body of Christ, they recognized Jesus. In verse 32, they say, were not our hearts burning? Were not our hearts coming alive? Were not the deepest longings of our hearts beginning to stir And then they run off and tell their friends how Jesus was recognized to them when he broke the bread. 
when he broke the bread. That their Savior, their Redeemer, had not redeemed them from Rome, but had taken on the greatest tyrant of history, sin and death. Sin and death that leaves a blanket of shame on you. That's what he took on. He faced it head on. Went right into it to set us free from it. And each week he calls us back to this meal. And some of you have asked me, Keith, I want to be more engaged with Scripture. I want to be more connected to the story that God is telling through the Word. And I'll just give you a little practice here, a little exercise. There's many ways in which you can interact with, interact with the Scripture that might be helpful for you, but I just want to give you a simple one. Every Wednesday here at the church, if you're on our email list, we send out the Scriptures. So I read it on Tuesday, and then I meditate on it throughout the week. I revisit it some. But as I'm having conversations with you, as I'm reading the news, as I'm out and about, I'm looking at art, I'm listening to music, that, 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 those verses, that story is stirring in my, in my heart. It's opening me up to new things. So we send it out on Wednesday, and you can read it with us. And if you decide to do that, I would encourage you. This is a prayer. Three things to pray. Pray that Jesus would break open the scriptures to you. That's number one. Number two, pray that he would also break open your heart. You know, there's parts of us that are hiding, not just from each other, but even from ourselves. Pray that he would break open your heart. And lastly, pray that he would allow you to hear his heart through his word. When we hear the heartbeat of God, our hearts come alive. We come out of hiding. Our hearts are set on fire. You're not afraid of being known anymore because God Almighty already knows you and you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to hide. You can be fully known and fully loved, not just by God, but you can be loved by his body, his church, his community. To live in that, to live in that day after day, I'm telling you, it leads to flourishing. And I don't mean flourishing like escaping suffering. I mean flourishing, coming alive in a world that is full of suffering, in a life that is full of suffering, that you still come alive. You still come alive. And you learn to do the very thing that Jesus said, if I'm going to summarize the whole Bible, all the commandments, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you got. And love your neighbor the same way. That's when you know you're engaged with the story of Scripture, when that is happening. 
And when I say your neighbor, I don't mean all your other Republican friends, if you're Republican, or all your other Democratic friends, if you're Democratic, or all your other conservative Christian friends, if you're conservative Christian, or all your other progressive friends, if you say you're progressive, or all the people that live in your neighborhood and and not the people that live on the other side, whatever other side that is. See, if you engage with Scripture, you're going to be inviting other people to meals that are very different than you. That's where this Scripture leads you. Let us pray.